0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski. Joe Montana is one of America's great actors. He's a Tony Award winner. He is a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's a star of CBS's Criminal Minds. He's been nominated for Emmy Awards, Golden Globe Awards, everything, been in countless movies, worked with all of the biggest directors and writers. Joe is also a huge sports fan and a very, very big Cubs fan, which is Fascinating here in uh, 2016 when the Cubs are again threatening to break the longest streak in sports, uh, threatening to actually go to the World Series and maybe even win it. I asked Joe a little bit about that, but I began by asking him about uh, his experience last week at Wrigley where he threw out the first pitch for maybe the seventh or eighth time. He couldn't remember how often he's thrown it out, but asked him what it must be like for a kid from Chicago – to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field. Okay, so there are a lot of things I want to ask you about, but uh, I want to start off. You were just in Chicago throwing out the first pitch, which yeah. which I understand went very very well for you.
1: For me, it went remarkably well because you know you always you don't want to see dirt on that ball when you're done. You know you don't want to see any any of that smudge on the ball. And I had learned this, you know, I, 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 you'll learn from trial and error. I remember the very first time I threw out the first pitch. It was, uh, God, maybe it was 20 years ago. And uh, and I was nervous as hell because you don't get a chance to warm up, especially at Wrigley Field. The bullpen is right there. You, you know, you can't go. You, there's nowhere to go. So they hand you the ball. And I remember I was walking out to the mound, and Mitch Williams, who was, you know, fireball Mitch Williams, sure. who they used to explain, you know, pitch like he had his hair on fire, uh He's leaning up against the wall, kind of spitting out pumpkin seeds as I'm walking to the mound, nervous as hell. And so I just look at him and I say, "Hey, Mitch, you got any tips?" And he says, "Ah, oh, hell, just throw it as hard as you can and hope to hit a corner," <laughs> which was his, his mode of pitching anyway. So of course I threw as hard as I can and I did not hit a corner. And I, you know, I think I got it in at about you know half of a bounce. But but that's, that then I learned. I think I won the next time I went. Uh, so the catcher, whoever the catcher was, and in effect, who I think it was, because I have a signed ball. As you know, a, the guy who catches your ball signs it for you. At the time, he was the reserve catcher. And I pick it out. I get the, I'll get the, the reserve guy to sign my ball. Who cares? He signs it. It winds up being Joe Girardi. <laughs> Went on to greater fame, you know. But anyway, he said, and I think it was Joe, but if it was not him, it was one of the other catchers in a later time, but he said, he said, you don't forget, because I, I throw from the rubber. I don't do like these ceremonial guys who go do it in front of the mound. I said, no, forget that. You know, you gotta, when they wheel me out to the mound on a wheelchair, maybe I'll go do it from the, in front. So I go to the rubber, but he says, look, if you're going to do it from the mound, you're, you're elevated it's further than you think and the ball is traveling downward that's why people bounce it in throw it high so i mean i did throw one once the way i think the catcher had to jump up in the air to catch it cuz i was just so nervous and tried to throw it high but this year i got to say it all came together maybe you learn from age and experience but i didn't put any heat on it i mean i think it's probably still traveling you know uh, you know, probably I threw it at about forty-three miles an hour, but uh, but it got there in a nice arc and came right in the strike zone. Oh, so the, the crowd cheered, as opposed to the you know usual boo when you bounce it in. Uh, they cheered, people were yelling yay, Joe!" and I thought that's it. Film that one, can it? Send it, send it to the Hall of Fame. I'm done. You know? But anyway, it was it was great. It was great.
0: You know, you are. I mean, as a lifelong Cubs fan. Does, does that ever get old? I mean, you've done it a few times now, but does that ever no. get
1: old, being out there no, on no, the mound? No, 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 it never gets old. I mean, think about it. I've been going to the Wrigley Field since I was, like, probably five years old. And so to be able, each time I do, each time to walk out to that mound and hear the announcer say, and now throwing out the first pitch, <laughs> Chicago Zone." jump. I mean, you, what happens is I'm going to be 69 in November. I turn into a six-year-old, you know. It's like, you know, you get weak in the knees, you get... You get the crowd is there. You're in front of what forty thousand plus people. It's just, it's well, it's it's why baseball is baseball. It's why it is our national pastime and why it's, uh, you know, there's something that the kid and all of us, whether it's the little boy or the little girl who's a fan, uh, it comes out regardless of your age. So no, it never it never gets old.
0: Now contrast that with actually singing. Uh, during the seventh inning stretch, which obviously is just a Chicago thing for the most part. yeah. Uh, but but what is what is that like compared to throwing the ball out for
1: the first Yeah, round? that that too. I mean it it's it, it, it's 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 equally nerve wracking because again you've got all these people looking up, staring up at you. <laughs> but they make you know that the organ player is great. I mean he he, he helps you out at the beginning, kinda of tells you, look I'm gonna do this then you're gonna call, call him that one, two, three, big you gotta make sure you listen for the note. And the thing is, at least I have a background in musical comedy, and, and and I was in a band in the 60s, so at least I have that going for me. I remember one year they had a contest, an online contest, who sings the seventh inning stretch the best this year. And, I'm, and you voted, you had to vote. And man, I was telling everybody to make sure I at least beat Dennis Franz, who was my dear, dear friend from you know, NYPD Blue fame. But he and I, we've been friends for like 30 plus years. We moved out here to California together. So it was very important to me that I beat him because I thought, Jesus, Dennis gets more votes than I do. Where I had done to play Hair and Godspell and was in a band. And here's Dennis who can't put five notes together. Uh, so luckily, I just squeaked them out. I mean, I think Eddie Vedder won that year, deservedly so. You know, the lead singer of Pearl Jam should yeah, win that yeah. event. But I wanted to be Ditka, of course, who, who also has a problem putting you know notes together. Um, but it is. I mean, it's exhilarating. And 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 this year, I, I, I did a new thing which I hadn't done before. They give you a, they usually give you a hat, and it says 7th Inning Singer" on the side, which is great. They keep it as a souvenir. But this year they gave me one, they said, Why don't you sign it and throw it into the crowd? I said, Oh yeah, that's that sounds like a great idea. So I signed it. And you know, I flipped it into the crowd, you know. Probably went, probably, who knows, probably got caught by a Dodger fan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, playing the Dodgers. That day they probably took it and burned it or something. But uh but it's great. I mean again, because you got everybody singing and you're it's Again, I mean, to do those because they always, you know, when they ask you, they ask you if you would sing the seventh. That's the main thing they're asking you. Throwing out the first pitch is an option because not everybody, you know, does want to do that or feels confident about it. But for me, being the next, you know, little leaguer and pony leaguer, was like, are you kidding me? To go out on the mound at Wrigley Field, who cares if I embarrass myself? I'm in. Bottom line,
0: though, in the online contest, did you beat Jeff Garland? I think that's. Really I get, you point. know
1: what I'm not sure. I didn't check. <laughs> like I said, all I cared about was beating Franz. Uh, you know, I think I might have come in like eighth place, and Franz was ninth or something. Oh, Jeff might have beat me. I don't know. I mean, Jeff <laughs> Jeff's a huge, uh, as you know, is a huge Cup fan and deserves uh, all the uh, the praise and accolades and attention he he, he should get for his rendition of the seventh however <laughs> i've never heard him do it though so i don't know but but i think i did well i mean I, like i said i at least have a background in singing uh everybody told me that they thought it was really good and then like i said when the announcers say you should be in the uh, hof that's, that's all i need <laughs> that's pretty impressive pretty yeah impressive. that's pretty impressive i remember when i did it, i remember i did it one time when when um harry Carey was alive uh you know when he when he was up there and it was like, I guess that, I don't know if I can remember if I just sang it or if whatever, but I know we were. It was that was an experience just being up in the booth with him. It's incredible, uh, but that that was great.
0: All right, so you know there, there's there's so much that I want to go over here, but yeah. as long as we're in Cubland, we have to talk about this. Cause I know you and I have actually you're you're not too eager to discuss this. The Cubs are good. The Cubs yeah. are really good. Oh, they're good. They're very good.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: so, so, what's, what's coursing through you as a lifelong
1: Cubs fan? What's coursing through me is they were very good in 1969. <laughs> they were very good in 1984. You know, they were very good in 2003. So, I mean, that's what's coursing through me. So, in other words, I have guarded optimism. Guarded optimism. I have guarded <laughs> optimism. I mean, and as each day goes, it's a little less guarded and a little more optimistic but you know it always amuses me when my younger friends you know meaning guys under you know under 60 will call me (laughs) and say oh man this is it this is the year and i'm going yeah okay all right all right yeah it could be maybe we'll see so i mean i i am as excited as can be on the inside but i have been you know Yeah, I'm damaged, let's face it, let's put it, let's put it there, you know, like I said, 69, I was, I was all over it, I mean, I used to wear an Ernie Banks t-shirt when I was doing the play Hair in Chicago at the Schubert Theater, (laughs) so every night at the second act, i put on this Ernie Banks t-shirt, that's how much I was into the Cubs, because you could do that in Hair, you could wear almost anything you wanted, and Ernie Banks saw the show, invited me to the ballpark, I met him. (laughs) <laughs> I met Ron Santo, who, who became that dear, dear friend. But I remember he doesn't. He I don't know if he. I explained it to him how the first time we met when I was I was like twenty one years old doing hair. I had hair down to my shoulders, and I walked out onto the field with Ernie before the game and I go up to Santo and I said hit, you know hit a homer run like you know it's a real smart thing to say and he looks at me I'll do my best son <laughs> <I'm> thinking, <laughs> wow i mean he, he was like a god i mean he was talking to me uh, i mean I was probably you know I'm a grown man but I mean, he's talking to me like I'm a 5 year old and, uh, and I thought, but but it seemed to fit but uh but no the cubs are i mean look they're, they're making for exciting baseball I love, and I I actually love what they've done with the park. I think it's in good hands. I really believe Ricketts, uh, that family, I really think they genuinely, um, you know, and let's face it, this year especially, I would vote for Epstein for president of the United States. (laughs) I mean, that that I can get excited behind. Uh, So, I mean, Epstein's done obviously what he has set out to do, what he said he was going to do. So... um, it's incredible. But we'll see, but we'll see. At the end of the day, I still have to say, it's what's the date? It's June what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> call me September thirtieth, Joe, and let's let's see what we're talking about.
0: <laughs> but it's exciting. It's like,
1: oh, a yeah. guy. without question, exciting. I well, oh, Was well, but... at the opening day here. I went to the opening game when they played Anaheim, which was great. So to be able to see them win that opener on the road. Was a great way to even start the season for me. Well, and I got to meet Madden, which is, a, as I said to him, I walked up. When I threw out the first pitch this year, I saw Madden in the dugout. I said, hey, Joe, between me, you, and Rizzo, we've got three Italians here, we should be able to do something today. And he laughed and agreed, and that was that. Well. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, because it. it I, I remember you telling me this. So you, you were one of the people that wrote uh, the play, Bleacher Bomb.
1: People, uh, well, I conceived it. I actually, I mean, I will take that credit. I, I can see, if you buy the script or go to Samuel French, you'll see right on the script. It says conceived by Joe Montaigne, sure. written by myself along with the original cast, which is the truth, which is as it should be, because we all contributed to the dialogue. But it was my idea. I had this whole concept for this play. So when I was with the Organic Theatre of Chicago, this was back in 1977, when they came to we we had a we had a meeting. It was near the end of our our, our theater season. We had run out of all of our grant money and whatever. We were a small little theater company. Uh, kind of like Steppenwolf was back then and other companies in Chicago. Sure. And our, our director says, anybody got an idea for a new play that will cost us nothing. And I raised my hand. I said, you know what? I've been tinkering with this idea about these. I sit with these guys in the bleachers that I think it's like almost as entertaining as what's going on on the field. I said, just come with me to the ball game, sit with me in this section and you tell me if this isn't a play. And so they did, they agreed, we went there for three days in a row, sat in that section of the bleachers, and we all agreed this is a play and and to me, the whole point of it was what is it about fandom? What is it that keeps thirty five thousand people following a fairly mediocre team over the last century at that time, uh, and yet they're so rabid and, and people who are so diverse people you know, the rich guy, the poor guy, the black guy, the white guy the the slob the the, the gentleman, the woman the the kid. These people who outside of the ballpark would never—you wouldn't see them together. Yet when they're together at that moment, they're like this family. That was the, the crux. That 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 was why I always thought this would make an incredible play. It's 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 like a passion play. It's like a, a Greek tragedy. So that was the genesis of Bleacher Bums. And what was funny is back in '77 when we opened, it was a huge hit. We took it to New York. It was off Broadway. It's it's still tours. I get residual checks. You know, every year from it touring around the world, you know, especially Summer Stock. But what was always funny is when when the writers back in '77 would ask me and say, "Yeah, but what are you going to do when the Cubs win the World Series? This play is going to be dated. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, won't be, it won't have its impact because the whole point of the play is that the Cubs are ultimately lose in the play." And then, you know, and I says, and I said then, as I say today, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. So, I mean, that's the only good aspect of the Cubs having won in the last 100-plus years is my play is as relevant as ever. You, you, you know? will
0: give up residuals, though, for a World Series, right? Right.
1: I would give up. I would probably give up the house I live in for a World Series. Let alone the residuals. Oh, sure. No, no, no. I uh, believe me. The hell with the play. I want the play to be dated. I would love them to be able to say, "Yes, this play used to be funny and used to be about this team that used to lose." Just like if there had been a play about the Red Sox. I mean, you know, it's right. basic. face You know, but that and that. Not a Red Sox thing is dead, done. I mean, which proves my again my point because I got interviewed on the show. Nightline years ago, you know, you know, the late-night show Nightline, sure. it was me and Ben Affleck. They had us both on. It was in the middle of the baseball season that year. And the whole crux of the conversation was, who suffers most, Boston Red Sox fans or Cub fans? And so here was Ben Affleck, who, who was very knowledgeable about the uh, the Red Sox. He's a huge fan. And here's me talking about the Cubs. And so it was like, who suffers most? So this was obviously before Boston had won anything. And he would come up with stuff like, Well, what about Buckner? I says, Yeah, what about Buckner? You got him from the Cubs. What are you talking about? You know? Uh, you know, so no matter what he would say, Yeah, but nineteen thirteen I said, Hell with nineteen thirteen, we're going you know, just drop out a few more years, go backwards, you know. I said, Don't talk to me about suffering. So now anyway, that argument is dead settled. I mean, now people in Boston, I mean it's like you know, now they expect to win World Series. I mean it's like you know, we're not even you know, we're we're kind of in that you know, in that frame of mind of like we we're hoping but not expecting no, no. hoping yes yes <laughs> praying yes it
0: yeah. would it would mean more. I mean you're you're a, you're all around big sports fan but yeah. but the Cubs that would mean the most to you right is the Cubs winning. I mean you're a big well, Bears it, fan it, you're it a was... big.
1: I'm a huge Bears fan. I mean, we have a restaurant, Taste Chicago, here in Burbank, California. I mean, we've recreated Chicago. When, I, when I'm done with you on this call, I'm going to go over to the restaurant because on Fridays we have a huge group of Chicago people that come from Second City, from all the different theater companies, they, they they tend to gravitate there on Fridays. I like to make the joke that half of the room are people who have been indicted and half of the room are people who haven't. Because the Second City have to tend to be kind of comedians and fun. And then, of course, my actor friends are guys that are from the wrong side of the track. You know, God knows what they've done in their lives. But no, I mean, And you go in, our, in the restaurant, and I've got Ernie Banks' jersey. I've got Walter Payton's jersey. They're all signed. I've got the Tay's. I've got... Uh, Derek Rose, I got Robin Ventura up there because I know him from the White Sox. So no, I mean I live Chicago, even here in Los Angeles, my wife and I. My wife created the restaurant. We've got all the Chicago foods. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, you've been there. You 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 know what I'm talking about. Sure. So uh, so yes, I I follow all the teams. I mean, I, I, but the Cubs are special, and also because I may have explained this to you before, but. I've also of the mind that if and when the Cubs do win the World Series, it might not be a bad idea to just abolish baseball. <laughs> and I know that sounds extreme, but you got to look at it this way. The whole rest of the world embraces this other sport, the, the beautiful game, soccer. And I get it. I mean, I like it. I watch it. I sure. you know, especially world... It's like, you know, okay, I, I get it. I get it. I didn't grow up with it, but I, I, I've, I'm, I'm coming around. So, But the whole rest of the world embraces that game. Now, just think about it. Cubs win the World Series, and then as a gesture of peace and love to the rest of the planet, we decide as a country to say, you know what? We really don't even need to play this game anymore because the Cubs have won the World Series. What do we have to prove? Why don't we just put all of our effort now into soccer? Football, the beautiful game. You, now you would have every other country in the world going, "Look at that! Look at what the look at what the United States has done." They have abolished that silly sport. They did with the balls and the bats, and, and now are doing the beautiful game. Maybe they're not so bad after all. So the way I look at it is, the Cubs have possibly the formula to world peace in their hands. You know. <laughs> If the rest of baseball would just go along. With it. Just go along you know, thought, one year, <laughs>
0: just once.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not asking for much. Just <laughs> abolish the sport, you know. No, but of course, that's, you know, that's that's probably asking too much. But uh, because you know what will happen. The Cubs will win the World Series, and then, of course, not the knowledge will expect us to do it all the time. Right. And, uh, and uh, who's to say, you know, might be. Well, I don't want to say anything. Well, let's see. Let's see. Well, but so I, I am excited. It's a great, great year so far.
0: All right. One, other, one last baseball question. Yeah. Uh, and you told me the story and I, I just think it's the greatest thing ever. You actually are the first person to take Sir Ben Kingsley to a baseball game. Is that correct? I am. Yes. I am
1: indeed. I am indeed. We were doing the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer and we were shooting it up in Toronto at the time. We shot most of the film in Toronto. And uh, so Ben had become a dear friend. We'd also done the movie Bugsy together. So I, I, I being a huge baseball fan, and I knew David Wells. I had met David Wells because we're both fans of the of the band Chicago. He he knew one of the guys in the band, and I knew all of the band because I I, I went back in the '60s when I was in a band. I used to tour w- with them with with my band. So anyway, uh, so I, I so that's why I met Dave Wells, and Wells was you know was was that wonderful, crazy left-hander that was at the time playing for the Blue Jays. So I said to Ben, I said, you want to go to a baseball game? Oh, well, I've never been to a baseball game. That would be exciting, you know. So I take him to the game. You know, first of all, outside we bought two polar sausages and he wolfed them both down. He had (laughs) never had that before, which was great. So then it was really almost like one of those those comic routines because we're sitting in the stands and he's literally asking me questions like, all right, so the man has... No, you say when he has four balls, he goes to the – walks to that place where the little pad is. Yes, yes, that's it. You know, I'm explaining the whole game to him, and he's getting it, you know. And I understand it because I had a guy once explain cricket to me when I was in Australia. It takes a while, but you get it. it. So he was great. But what was funny is after the game, we go down I go, come on, we're going to go down to the clubhouse we're going to go see Dave. So we go down to see Dave, and Dave's. If you know, I mean, if you've ever met Dave Wells, I mean, they called him Boomer, and there's reason enough. I mean, he's 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 a, he's a lunatic. I mean, I love him to death. So we're down there. So here's Dave, who's like about six seven, you know, and big, and and here's me, who's like six foot. So I'm kind of still look diminutive next to Dave. But here's Ben, who's not not really a tall man. Not a tall man. No. So so here's Dave saying, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Ben? How you doing? Jim? So he gives us each a baseball, you know, as he would, like, to any fan. He signs it, hands him a ball, hands me a ball. He goes, come on, let's take a picture. So Dave's in the middle. If you see the picture, the picture is like, hilarious. Because here's Dave in his uniform, standing in the middle, looking like a major league ball player. And he's got his arm around me on one side, and I'm holding the baseball like, yay, Dave. But here's Ben on the other side, and he's holding the ball, like he's holding like a priest holds the host at the, the communion like in his fingertips up on his fingers cuz he doesn't know he thinks well, maybe he's supposed to hold it like it's a trophy or something so he's he's got it at the tips of his finger in front of him he's got this like look on his face like I don't know what the hell I'm doing but I guess this is what this is this sort of ceremony they do with this ball you know and it was great so i mean so i mean i don't know if Ben ever went to another baseball game in his life next time i see him i'll have to ask him but uh uh, but yeah, that was, that was great. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it, we had a great time and it was, uh, something I'll never forget.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I love that story. I love that story. I also love the story. You, you are the original, you are on the original, uh, I guess, group cast, whatever you want to call it, of De Bears. DeBeers-
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They wrote that skit for me. For you. I, the, yeah, when I hosted the show, and it was 1991, uh, you know, being from Chicago, the, 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 one of the writers, Robert Smigel, who's not even from Chicago, he's from New York, but That's he was—he had—but he had, he'd been, I think, he'd been a second city and all that, so he was—he was familiar with Chicago and he knew that whole thing about you know bears you know people that are you know. I was used to say if Dennis Franz, Dennis Farina, and I all got in the same room and started talking, the Wrigley Building would appear, <laughs> just based on our accents, our you know, but. But Smigel came up with this idea, why don't we just do the skit? I got this idea for a skit where we're all in a bar and they're all Bears fans and we just talk like this, about Bears, you know, with Chris Farley and him and I and Martin, uh, Mike Myers. and So th- that show that I hosted was the very first time they had that skit. And I thought it was great. It was like, oh man, this is fun. Sure, this is, you know, I don't have to even have to learn the accent. I just have to just expand on my own. And so we did the skit, and then of course, little did we know it was going to go. Nowadays they would call it viral; it didn't exist back then. But but uh, it w- it was like huge in Chicago. They replayed the skit on the radio, and then all of a sudden there were billboards going up: the Bears, the Bulls, the White Sox, the Deep, the Paul University. They put "da" in front of everything in Chicago after that. And then of course George Wendt hosted the show a few uh, weeks later and of course he's being a huge Cogwin, uh, uh and a huge Sox fan and Bears huge Bears fan. He picked up the uh you, you know the, the the where I'd left off and became my brother. I think I was Bob Swirsky. he became Bill Swirsky. and the super fans became like an ongoing skit and then they wrote a movie and it was an incredible script, you know, along the lines of those other movies that they did based on Saturday night live skits. Um But what, unfortunately, what happened is when Chris Farley died, he was such a major character in the in in the in that skit and also in the movie. It would have been in the movie. We never made the movie, but we wound up doing a a reading, two two readings of it in Chicago for charity of the movie script. George went, myself. Uh, Horatio Sands from Saturday Night Live did the part that Chris Farley would have done. Mike Ditka himself did the <laughs> reading. He, what's funny is Ditka only showed up for the first one; that he didn't realize there was a second one after a lunch break and didn't show up. <laughs> Just left. <laughing. So, laughs> yeah, it was typical. And they found I, I think one of the White Sox pitchers was in attendance that night, and so he he wound up reading the part. But it was great. But yeah, uh, in fact, at our restaurant when the, when the Bears were were in the Super Bowl against the Indianapolis a few years back. Uh, we, we televised the game in our parking lot. We had a huge tent with big screen TVs, and we started out by showing the skit, my original skit of the Bears, to the crowd of like over 250 people. And of course, I thought they would have tear the tent down. They're going you know, and uh, so it was great.
0: Such a blast! Such a blast! You know, you are. I mean, I've, I've known you now for a few years, and, and you are you're you're hilarious. You're you're just a very funny person. And yet, I would say, now would you agree with this? The bulk of your career, you've, you've certainly done comedy through the years, yeah. but, but the bulk yeah. of your career is certainly on criminal minds. That's certainly, yeah, a lot in. of comedy there going. Right. Um, but you, I mean, do you, do you find yourself sort of, uh, fearing that way where it's a you know you're playing people that are different from your personality or
1: somewhat yeah I mean you know what you find out in this business is you play the cards you're dealt Mm -hmm. you know I always thought in fact I I, I thought I was going to make my mark in this business if at all with musical comedy like I said I started doing the play Hair in 1969 that was my first professional job the musical Hair I did that for a year and a half then after that I did the musical Godspell for a year I played Judas in Godspell uh, then I did Studs Terkel's play Working mm-hmm. on Broadway and I have two songs on that album on the working album a show wasn't a huge hit at all so it wasn't a big Broadway hit but the album exists and I have two songs on it so I always thought oh that's my ticket that's my ticket to show business I'd been in the band I was a lead singer in the band I, I do musicals this is what's going to happen well and then I started working with this theater company the organic theater well now I'm doing more plays and doing, and doing comedies I did this thing a wonderful ice cream suit which wound up years later turning into a movie then I started doing a little television stuff and I was getting Comic roles in that on soap, on a couple other things, doing guest shots, you know, playing but keep playing basically comic characters. But it, it was my dear friend David Mamet, who when he offered me the role of Ricky Roma in yes. *Glen Glenn Ross* back in 1984 on Broadway, that's the role that ultimately, after 15 years of banging around as an actor, changed my career. I won a Tony Award. The show wins a Pulitzer Prize but it sets me off on a whole other path. It's like, oh, you do this kind of stuff. And so, and that's what I mean by you're playing the cards you're dealt. It's like, I'm an actor. I'll play the part. As long as the parts are good, I'll play them. Now, I've done, I did Baby's Day Out. I've done a couple Woody Allen films. I've done movie. I've, you know, done roles that have had some, you know, good amount of humor in them, airheads stuff like that. But I established myself early on, at least early on, in the sense of like on a higher level in Broadway and in most Godfather, obviously, motion pictures like that, of being someone who's. Not necessarily a comic actor, but just a, uh, whatever you want to call it, an actor, or a serious actor. I don't know. I like to just think of myself, I don't even think of myself as a leading man. I think of myself as a character actor. I, could, I could go whichever way to, you know, show me the script and let's see if I can pull it off, you know. Well, but... You know some roles I can relate to more easier than others in terms of you know is it part me is it is it somebody I'm pretending more to be you know what I'm saying but but the, there's a sense of humor of who I am anyway even in the, even in the more serious roles that the point is to try to find you, you, in other words you try to find the humor in the serious roles you try to find the seriousness in the in the humorous roles sometimes yeah. in other words you try to make a complete uh, person out of these characters one gets to play.
0: Well, I mean, you, I think you are. I mean, I certainly I view you this way. I mean, you're you're somebody who's made a a, a you know a really spectacular body of work. I mean, it's been a huge career, and I think undoubtedly a big part of that is because you're you you pretty much go wherever wherever the work is or wherever the the, the, the roles are. Right? I mean, it's you you view yourself as a professional actor in in that way, where uh, whatever challenge comes your way, you're going to take it on.
1: Absolutely. No, as long as I can, as long as I can read a script and say to myself, you know what? I, there's something about this character. I think I can, I've got a, a, an idea of maybe how to do this, like a, an angle, a way to play it. And if I can, if that excites me, then I'll give it a shot. And I don't care if it's a little movie, a big movie, a play, a television show. If it's a comedy, serious. If it's a little part, a big part. If it if it resonates with me, where I can say, you know what? This this would be fun. Because my my attitude in life is. You got to be at every moment. You have to be somewhere doing something. So you might as well be doing something as opposed to doing nothing. You know, I mean, as long as it's not going to hurt anybody else or, or damage yourself, you know, why not have the experience? I mean, especially as an actor, you go through so many years struggling, where it's like you, 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 beg to get a job. So when you get into a situation where people are offering, in essence, more than you can ever even really do, then you have that. You have that. That the wonderful capability of being able to somewhat pick and choose and say well you know what this looks interesting this looks like fun let's give it a shot you know and then when it's over it's over and then you move on you know so i've been very blessed i mean i've wanted to be an actor since i was 16 years old i want to be 69 years old it's a long time in between of doing exactly what i wanted to do i mean uh you i mean you can relate to that you're you know, you're a great sports writer, and and uh, uh, I can imagine that's a boyhood dream of a lot of people. I've played two sports writers in my career. Yes, you have. I'm, yeah, in Searching for Bobby Fischer, and in uh, Forget Paris.
0: I thought in Searching for Bobby Fischer, and it just you know, that was one where the character was somewhat close to you, like it, it, it yeah. personality, and in in in, in and, and and I and look, I think you're fantastic obviously I think you're fantastic in Criminal Minds but that's not a character I mean it, it, it seems to me like you're learning about that character all the time I would guess because that's, that's pretty yeah. intense stuff
1: well also when you're doing a TV series there's a whole different animal than doing a movie you know when you're doing a movie you just have to create that role for that one time experience based on that script it's only going to exist there unless of course they do a sequel maybe they can get another shot but, but I basically, it's like when I played Dean Martin in the Rat Pack. I did all this research and everything, and I loved doing it. But, it's, you know, that's it. I did it, and that was that. So you, you get it done and on to the next. You do a TV series, especially talking about Criminal Minds, which now is going into, it's 12th year, yeah. my 10th year doing it. And that's why I got some good advice early on from people like Don Belisario, who was a wonderful television producer who I worked with on a series with Jim Garner years ago. And he said, look, if you're going to do a TV series, try to pick a character. Because I had a lot of input of who my character was, and, you know, in terms of all aspects of who this guy is. Sure. He said, try to pick someone that on many levels you can somewhat relate to, because you may be doing this character for a long time if the show's a hit. So you don't want to have to say to yourself, oh, my God, I've chosen this character that's so from left field. Uh, you start to forget who you are. Where to draw from? Where do you draw those experiences from? So I purposely picked a guy who's Italian American because I know what that's like to be like that. Right. You know. And so, and, I, and I, from an urban background, and I and I've incorporated some of the things that I believe in in terms of my, my passion for the military, my my passion for certain sports, for music, for whatever it is. So all that has been incorporated into the character and by bits and pieces. I worked those in to certain episodes of even Criminal Minds over 10 years, so that in some ways there is a reflection of Joe Montana in there as well. In other words, David Rossi. Yes, no, I'm not David I even named a character after a guy I knew, an L.A. policeman, as my way of honoring uh, policemen everywhere. Huh. So it was like I was I was using it to, to, to that advantage of, okay, if I'm going to play this guy for a long time, let me at least be able to infuse him with some of the things I... Believe in or what, what I'm about. That's why I wanted him to be a veteran. I wanted him to be, um, uh, uh, you know, just the kind of guy that he is the only thing different is I've been married to the same woman for like forty seven years and David Rossi's been divorced three times. So that was my one step out of it. I thought, ah, let's see what it's like to be a guy who, you know, hasn't been with the same woman since almost birth. But uh but it's great because no, because my my wife she she understands she gets a kick out of it. That's
0: so fun. So fun. Yeah. All right, uh last question for you. Yeah. And and this relates to to all the things we're talking about with the Cubs. Right. Um when Will you believe that it's that they're going to the World Series? Is is it going to literally be when the last out is made? I mean, will
1: you? Will you? Well, yeah. I mean, let, let's let's put it this way: if it gets down to that, like, okay, this is the game that decides. Because we almost had it, as you know, that whole yes. the Bartman year, as they, as they referred to it. You never I mean, liked you know. that. You
0: never liked to being called the Bartman thing because you don't you you did not like the way he got hit
1: for that. Absolutely, I, I was I was I, I was a huge supporter of that kid. I mean, he was a, he was a Cub fan. He did not deserve, you know, it was all those wannabe fans that jumped all over yeah. him. Anybody who was a real Cub fan, got it. That, look, look, that wasn't, the, the kid was, Jeff Santo, Ron Santo's son, who was a, was a dear friend of mine, said he was sitting in that same section when it happened. He said he was about to go reach for the ball. He said it was just one of those things. I mean, and the way I looked at the Cubs, you 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 know me well enough to know that my feeling was, if it wouldn't have been that, a meteor would have hit the, the the ballpark the next day, and that would have done it. You know, something was not right that year. Something was off. Maybe maybe Dusty Baker was too cocky. Maybe something like that that he really kind of thought. I thought to myself, now Dusty, now you don't know what it's like to you know you know, you,
0: you had it easy
1: with the Giants. Look at these. You know, this is the Cubs. This is a whole other ball game here. You know, but anyway. So, uh, but no, uh, it'll take, yeah, when if it gets down to like it's going to be one more pitch makes the difference, yeah, I'm going to be the guy that's going to be prepared to like, okay, Joe, breathe deep because we don't want your heart to stop one way or the other, you know. I mean, it'll stop, of course, if, 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 if they blow it, and it'll stop, of course, if they win it. One will be a stopping of joy. The other one will be stopping of just miserable death once again. So I always try to save a little, you know what I mean? In other words, I'd rather die happy, let's put it that way. So in other words, if the Cubs blow this, I'm not going to die because I've hedged my bet. If they win, there is a chance I might just explode, and then that's that. But who knows, maybe they'll adopt my idea and start playing soccer, and then that'll be that. I can die knowing that the Cubs were the last team to ever win a World Series.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm just telling you this, and I've actually I've told you this uh, a little bit. They're really, really good, but we all know baseball. I mean, we all know, yeah. uh, especially oh, yeah. now. That's a long postseason,
1: but sure. boy, but boy, they're good. They're really. really They good. are really good, and they're playing. They're playing fast and loose. They got a great manager. I love Madden. He, he knows how to handle them. See, I was a big supporter of Phil Jackson for that reason. Too, a lot yeah. of people said, "Ah, oh, Phil Jackson would have won with any bunch of guys." Bullshit. I mean you you know, the, 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 there's it's not a coincidence that the lakers did what they did and the bulls did what they did under jackson people forget for the most part these players are fairly young fairly malleable a lot of them you know come out of college they come out of wherever they need that figure that 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 figurehead who can just somehow it's almost like the puppeteer playing with the puppets you got to know what you're doing and if somebody really does it brilliantly it makes a huge difference and if you can win let's say 5 more games based on that guy's talent of being able to, you know, handle those players, whatever the sport is, five, five, five games That's could difference. be the difference between winning it at all or being in third place. So, you know, I, I really think so. Knowing that, and that they've got the support of the town, the team, the owner. You know, uh, Epstein, as I said, did, did a great job. You got Madden at the helm. You got a lot of young talent. They've they've got a great farm system now going. Uh, and, I, and, I, and again, I like the ballpark. Some people complained, "Oh, you ruined it! You put up these big scores score TVs and stuff." And I told, I told Rick, "It's this. I said, I said they fit in really good." And I says, and, and and all, and I'm telling you, after one season, all you got to do is k- announce in the papers that you're threatening to take them down, and people will revolt because people now are so used to seeing a replay. Like, wow, look at that! You know, before at wrigley forget about it. You had to like, you know, everybody would be looking down at their phone. You know. So uh, no, it's, I read, the pieces are all in place, Joe, as you know, but but there's you know as you know, Joe Montaigne will always hang out that big butt until they say yes, raise the flag. We've done it. The curse. So if you you know, I never believed in the curse either. To hell with that. But whatever it is, it the the pain is over. Let's put it that way. Well, the um... long wait is over.
0: I want it for you. I, I, I for you, Thanks, and Jeff, Joe. and, and all-time Cubs fans. I really, it I, so- uh, I,
1: I, app- I appreciate it. And also, as you know, my my good friend Steve's coming in again from Thailand. Yes, the, the, the lunatic from Thailand. He's he's going. He's got. A, I arranged tickets for him in August. He's coming with his. He's adopted kids from Thailand. His wife. He's bringing like nine people from Thailand who've never even been to a baseball game. That should be a, a sitcom unto itself. And of course, Steve follows every. You know, you wrote that wonderful piece uh, about him in the Sports Illustrated a while back, and uh, and uh, yeah, he's he, he, as you can imagine, he's on fire. I mean, so he, fire. of course, he has no. He has no. Filter at all. Steve is like he stays up till four in the morning and watches the games on his computer. And and in he lives a hundred miles from Burma. I mean, this guy and lives on a compound that, as you know, has has he has a replica of Wrigley Field in his backyard. I mean, the guy's a lunatic. <laughs> But for him, almost more for him, I want them to win. He, he believes. That's
0: the great Steve, thing about Oh, he believes. Steve, oh, Steve believes. Steve, he really Steve does. Steve believes.
1: Steve Steve believes. He definitely picks up. Because he's the one that's always bugging me. Are you there yet, Joe? Are you there yet, Joe? <laughs> no, no, Steve, not yet. I'll let you know.
0: Well, Joe, thanks so much for this. This has been fantastic. Always a
1: pleasure, Joe. You're my favorite sports writer. You know that. And so, uh, you know, on we go. Awesome. All right, my friend.